You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Talking Time Lords podcast. This is episode number six, the Dalek Invasion of Earth story review. I am as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me we have my companion on this podcasting adventure, we have Paul Gann. What's up man? What's going on? (laughs) Just having some fun. Oh yes, (laughs) having some fun talking Daleks. And time lords. <laughs> and time lords. Again. <laughs> I try. <laughs> uh, nothing to get into beforehand, so we're going to jump right into this. Last episode, we talked about the very first ever uh, Dalek uh, story arc in Doctor Who, simply titled The Daleks. Which was which was rather interesting. I liked it. And now, this episode, we're going to be jumping right into the second ever premiered episode, or story arc, uh, that featured the Daleks. This being from Season 2 of the series, uh, and it aired... It was six episodes, and aired fr- uh, from the 21st of November to the 26th of December in 1964... Uh, and it was entitled The Dalek Invasion of Earth. Yes. Uh, the Daleks uh, are in London in this episode. So, uh, before we jump into the review proper, I'm going to read us a quick synopsis, and then we'll get started. Just want to give everybody our spoiler warning. Uh, expect full spoilers on these reviews, uh, especially for our classic episodes Uh, since they've been out for so long. The TARDIS materializes beside the River Thames in the year 2164. The world to which they emerge, however, is eerily silent, and signs of decay are rife. They soon discover that the streets are patrolled by zombie-like humans. Flying saucer-like craft occupy the skies, and that desperate rebels are hiding below ground in the disused underground system. But worse is still to come. The Daleks, thought destroyed by the Doctor, have invaded and enslaved humanity, having first bombarded it with cosmic storms. Why have the Daleks chosen Earth in particular? What is the significance of the giant mine in Bedfordshire to which they are shipping human slaves? 
And can the Doctor unite with a small band of Resistance fighters to stop the Daleks before their plans wreak havoc with the Earth forever? Do we? I like the way you read that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like reading these sort of things. Um, real quick, uh, we still have the same TARDIS crew. Uh, as we had last uh, episode, uh, we are still with Ian, Barbara, and Susan as the Doctor's companions. And yes, this is still the first Doctor. He has not regenerated yet. So um, we kick things off with kind of an odd scene where uh, a a man in an interesting-looking headgear... Uh, walks himself into the River Thames and drowns himself. And then the TARDIS materializes on the bank that he just walked down. It's a little odd. It's like, that's yeah. that's not ominous at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, he screams like a crazy man first, too. So that, you know, that's something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we immediately know that the, this is not going to start well. <laughs> Uh, but the TARDIS lands, and the crew emerges to find Earth and what they assume to be London. They don't know what time it is, uh, what what the, the year is yet, and London seems strangely quiet. Uh, of course, Ian makes the joke that it must be Sunday. Um, <laughs> but it's really quiet. like Right. And, and it seems in disrepair. Yeah, and so we really find that that this is a very. It is not the London that Ian and Barbara knew, and they're a little unsettled by this. And this is what caused the Doctor to to start wondering what year it is. Yeah, uh, while they're looking around, uh, Susan had climbed up one of the embankments uh, to get a better look. Ended up dislodging some earth fell, uh, hurting her ankle, um, but also dislodging some earth underneath the foundation of the bridge that they materialize underneath, and some scaffolding falls down and blocks the way into the TARDIS. Wonderful. Yes. (laughs) Completely um, not, uh, not, what is the word I'm looking for? Coincidental? Yes, that's the word. Completely <laughs> coincidental for the story. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, they can't get in because the scaffolding's too large. And the Doctor and Ian decide to head off to see if they can find something to either move or cut the scaffolding with while uh, Barbara helps tend to Susan's ankle. Uh, because while it's not sprained or broken, she she can't really walk on it at the moment. So... I thought this part was funny because the doctor and Ian are going up the stairs uh, to this warehouse to try to find a, uh, a cutting torch. And uh, Ian says, now be careful now, doctor. And the doctor says, I'm not a half wit. <laughs> <laughs> he stops. He, he's going up the stairs and he's like, you know, be careful, doctor. The doctor stops and turns back around and points in his face. I'm not a half wit. <laughs> uh, one 
the also <clears throat> one of the interesting things um, that sort of gets uh, established bit by bit in in this episode, and we see a little bit of it here in the be- very beginning, is uh, the disparity between the way that the doctor treats Susan and the way that Susan wants to be treated, because she's not a child anymore. She wants to be treated as, as a young adult, and, and the doctor still sees her as his, you know, little granddaughter, you know, that he has right. to care for and, and watch for. Um, and so there, there's a little bit of that that starts getting uh, laid sure. as foundation at the very beginning here in this uh, opening sequence. So Right. I also got the impression, too, that the doctor was looking for a reason not to treat Susan like a little girl anymore. Uh, that he he was you know kind of on the fence as to whether or not he wanted her to grow up, but he felt the need to keep an open mind and look for reasons not to treat her like a little girl anymore. Uh, I don't know if you got that vibe off of it or not, but I did. Um, later on, I did. Later on, I definitely did. Uh, in the beginning, not so much, um, because. You know he's a little flustered with with Susan for causing the the you know the right. the the scaffolding to fall and he's uh, you know and something that would never be said um, in in 2015 he says you know what you need is a jolly good smack bottom which you know means a spanking so <laughs> um, and you don't say that to you know a, a, an 18 19 20 year old <laughs> young woman um, right. but. You know, he, he definitely, at that point, he's very flustered and he, you know, he just says that. And it's like, well, he obviously is, doesn't see her as the young woman she wants to be seen as. At least, you know, not in that situation. So, Well, I know that I have gotten uh, the impression uh, personally that Susan has aged a good bit from the first episode of the show to this point. Uh we just don't get to see as much of that aging process take place, but you know that she has aged uh, enough to have gone from being uh, maybe a fifteen-year-old girl at this point to being old enough to be considered a woman. Right. Yeah, she does seem older than, especially you know, in our last episode that we reviewed, which is interesting because the rest of the crew don't seem to have aged much at all. Um, you know, which it's. You know, kind of understandable because, you know, the actress is a young woman and it's easier to tell when, you know, right. people of that age are growing up. Um, but, yeah, she does seem to have definitely, even in the way that they write her, um, she definitely seems to have, have grown up quite a bit uh, since we first met her um, and and since we last saw her, on you know, as far as our show is concerned. So... She has a, 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 a bit of independence in her personality that she didn't have before. Mm-hmm. She's, she's not nearly as much of uh, the, the little girl character that was, oh, grandfather, oh, you know, she's, she's more, you know. She doesn't run to him for everything. Self-assured now. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't run to him for everything. Um, right. Which, which is kind of a nice uh, change of pace for Susan. Moving on a little bit, uh, the Doctor and Ian uh, end up going into this warehouse uh, where they're, it's in complete disrepair, 
Uh, they find a little calendar that tells them the year, 2164. Um, they also find a, a corpse, you know, a, a dead uh, human wearing one of these strange helmets. Uh, and the doctor... And he's been stabbed. Yeah, he's been stabbed. And, and the doctor surmises that this helmet... Uh, is, is sort of an, an electronic ear, basically, you know, where they are able to receive communications from somewhere else. Uh, and it helps to control their their brain a little bit. Um, meanwhile, Susan and Barbara are swept up by these scruffy-looking ruffians, basically, and they say, we have to get out of here. Do you, don't you know how dangerous this is? We forgot something. What I forget? Uh, Susan, uh, of course, has the hurt ankle, um, but Barbara goes to get water to put on her ankle and oh, yes. finds a sign that says that it's forbidden to dump bodies into the river. Yes. Yeah. That's then, not dark at all, right? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Why would that be dark? You know. And and it's and it's that that definitely confirms to uh to Barbara that they're not in nineteen sixty three London anymore. She's like this, That's this the is the first time she comes to that realization. Yeah. Right. She she says, No, I know London. And this is not my London, you know. It's definitely not my time, that's for sure. So, um, but they get swept up by these scruffy-looking ruffians who are like, what are you doing out? Don't you know how dangerous it is? And one of them picks up Susan, who can't, you know, run right now because of her ankle. And uh, they and Barbara take off through uh, the these warehouses into a wooded area to the underground um, is it the subway station? The underground station? Yeah. It's basically the old abandoned subway st- Is it a subway station? I'm looking. It says underground <laughs> station here. Yes. Yes. So underground station. We'll just call it that. Um, the London Underground. So yes, it's a yes. subway station. Yes. So th- there aren't subways in Tucson, so um, I-, I don't know much about them. Um, <laughs> They discover that this is a, a group of resistance fighters um, after the invasion. And, you know, of course, Barbara and Susan are like, what invasion? Who's invading? And, you know, what about our friends? You know, the Doctor and Ian. Uh, so somebody gets sent back to go find the Doctor and Ian while they're taken in by uh, Dortmund, who's the leader of this resistance movement, who, interestingly enough... Um, is in a wheelchair. He's, he's, he's sort of a crabby. He's old apparently, man. apparently, he's had uh, battle damage to his legs. Yeah, he's uh, been fighting, and uh, he, his legs aren't uh, cooperating quite properly. Um, so they're sort of like almost <laughs> kidnapped by this rebel group, uh, which is a little unsettling at the beginning. So, so the, the one that picked up um, Susan was uh, uh, Tyler, and the one who's going back to look for Ian and the Doctor is David. Yes. So interesting thing enough. Interestingly enough, David had spied the Doctor and Ian 
in the warehouse earlier and had avoided them because he thought that they were enemy agents. So, And it turns out he's the one that stabbed the guy in the helmet. Yes. Yes. Um, this is where we find out what they're called, too, at this point. Yes, uh, the, these men in helmets are basically called robo-men, which... Very, very descriptive. Um, <laughs> very creative name, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the Doctor and Ian, having not found what they're looking for, end up back at the TARDIS and, of course, are exasperated because nobody stays where they're supposed to. Gosh. You know. Why do they always do this? You know? <laughs> yes. Which is a running theme in Doctor Who. Um, of course, Ian finally sees the sign Barbara saw... And uh, is very perturbed by it. Um, But they decide to wait by the TARDIS in case Susan and Barbara return. And uh, by the time they finally decide to to go look for them, they're surrounded by Robomen. And they're about to make their escape when from out of the water uh, rolls a Dalek. A Dalek. Yes. And that is how episode one ended with this Dalek emerging from the River Thames coming up on land. I like the ending. I didn't necessarily like the execution. <laughs> and, and, and I'll say this. And the reason why is not because, um, not because I didn't like the way the story was told. I liked that. What I didn't like was us seeing the Dalek before they did. Oh, yes, because uh, the Doctor and Ian are, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with the Robo-Men, and it cuts to a shot of the river where we see a Dalek starting to, uh, you know, the the dome and the eye stock of the Dalek start to peer up from out of the water. Um, right. And then cuts back to the Doctor and Ian, and they turn and run towards the camera like they're going to make their escape for it. Uh, they're going to dive in the river and escape the Robo-Men. Uh, and, of course, that's when they see the Dalek, and it's already halfway out of the water by that point. So, um, See, I would have liked to have seen it when they saw it. You know, I think it would have been a lot more impactful uh, for me to have seen it that way. Yeah. No, that would be really interesting. That'd be really kind of cool. Now that I think about it, and I think point. it's kind of I think it's kind of funny too that they're uh, planning on jumping into the water, literally moments after Ian has just got finished talking about how polluted the water is and how he wants to have nothing to do with it. Right, right. You know? Because <laughs> because maybe that sign about not dumping bodies in the river is because of a plague you know, and people are dying and, you know, perhaps it's because of a plague and, you know, people just get rid of bodies by dumping them in the river and, oh gosh, hopefully Barbara and Susan <laughs> didn't, you know, touch the water. They may be sick and, okay, we're going to dive like, in the river. I did notice that too. 30, 30 <laughs> seconds later, it's like, okay, let's dive in the river. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I do, I did notice that. I was like, hmm, Ian, maybe you should make up your mind. Uh, <laughs> I suppose he felt that the the Robo Men were a more immediate threat than uh, the possibility of plague. Um, <laughs> well, needless to say, the Doctor and Ian 
are captured. Uh, that that is not uh, that is a, a foregone conclusion at this point. They've been surrounded and they've been encountered by the Daleks. Uh, interestingly enough, though, Ian turns to the Doctor and says, "I thought." They were destroyed on Scaro. How did they survive? And the doctor says, oh, don't be silly. You know, that adventure, referring back to our previous story, um, takes place, you know, I think it was either thousands or millions of years in your future. Uh, you right. Know, so this is the Daleks at an earlier point in time is what is what his explanation was there. Well, that's that's his assumption at this point. That's his assumption. Um, you know whether or not that's actually true. He doesn't have sure. enough. He doesn't have enough back information on them to really and truly know for sure. He's he's just making an educated guess at this point. Of course, we find we find out later that that there's a lot more to this than he could possibly even know at this point. But that's right. the most logical answer that he can come up with. Right. And it's a pretty, you know, pretty good answer. Um, so, it seemed to work for Ian, so. <laughs> this is also the point in which they uh, they talk about the differences in the Dalek armor. Um, because Ian notices that they have, the Daleks have the dishes on the back of their armor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that actually is explained to be the way that they're powered now is that they are actually receiving power through that dish uh, through uh, I guess for lack of a better term uh, the same type of transmission uh, that you would do with radio waves or something Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, that way they don't have to rely on static electricity from the floor like they did uh, in in the last episode we we reviewed so. And I think I think that it's also uh, interesting to point out too that because we do know that they do rely on um, radiation, that that also means that they would have to uh, have a radiation uh, system built into their their suits at this point to uh, keep them alive. Mm-hmm. Barbara and Susan are are getting um, I won't say assimilated. I don't think that's the word I'm looking for, but they're getting uh, integrated integrated, integrated yes. into the uh, the resistance group rather fast. Uh, uh, this woman, Jenny, who's uh, one of the, the louder voices amongst the resistance group, um, is tending to Susan's ankle, uh, sends Barbara to start helping with food, and then tells them to sign up for work detail. Um <laughs> Welcome, welcome to the the group. Uh, you sign up for work detail. Thanks. Bye. You know, <laughs> she's a very abrupt person, uh, right? But uh, I wasn't. I remember when I first watched this, I was like, "You're not a very kind person, are you? You're you're rude." Um, but of course, she gets a character arc, you know, throughout this story. Um, well, we also discover that she's had some losses in her life yes. too, and she doesn't. She doesn't feel like that it's important to let people know that you care about them because all they're going to do is die anyway. Right. Right. We, we, we find out later on that her brother was robotized and was turned into a, a roboman. And I believe, 
Does she say that he committed suicide when when his uh, his programming failed? I believe she does. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh. Because this is the point where they talk about that. They talk about um, the fact that the the uh, operation, which they refer to as the transfer, uh, is actually unstable, and that eventually the person who has gone gone through this transfer um, will uh, at some point uh, become unstable, go insane, and kill themselves. So that's <laughs> the Daleks are not necessarily kind with their um, conscripted army. <laughs> we also find out that there actually aren't that many Daleks left on Earth. The invasion has already happened. You know, Earth has already been conquered. Basically, uh, they use Robomen for most of their day-to-day um, enforcement and the maneuvering about of, of prisoners and slaves and that sort of thing. Uh, but there really aren't that many Daleks left on the planet, uh, and they fly around these saucers. So, uh, and a saucer has just landed in London. And... Oh, dude, I really appreciated the fact that these saucers look the same in the new series as they do in the classic series. I think that's <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, actually, the interesting thing about this um, this uh, story arc is for the special edition DVD, they went back and touched up some of the uh, the previously done model shots and turned them into CG shots. Um, really? Yep. There was uh, there was just a few of them. Uh, the the power station that the Doctor and Ian initially go to um, was a, a large model, uh, and apparently they weren't completely satisfied with the way it looked, so they redid it in the computer uh, from a different angle uh, when they looked at it and to make it look bigger and more imposing and a little better put together. And the saucer shots were originally models that they you know flew across a background or whatever and they uh they redid the saucer shots um with computer animation when they released the dvd in when did they release the dvd i have that right here one second ah it's way down at the bottom i don't think i saw that version so the original original saucer is a bit flatter uh, than the the model saucer is a bit flatter than um, than the the newer saucers, obviously from uh, the new series. So DVD releases uh, two thousand three ish is what it looks like. Although that doesn't seem right. I don't remember when it was released. Anyway, but yeah, they went back and they redid that. Um, if you can see some pictures at the... If you want to see pictures of this, go to the TARDIS wiki, uh, tardis.wikia.com, and search for the Dalek Invasion of Earth TV story, 
and down towards the bottom of the page, uh, you will see uh, a collection of five images. Um, one of the original model shot of the Battersea Power Station with the, the new generator complex or whatever it is that they were looking at. And then a picture of the new CGI Battersea Station. Uh, then they'll have a picture of the original Dalek saucer model. And then two pictures of the CGI saucer model so um but it is nice that they went back and redid those in the same uh the same design as the the dalek uh saucers that we see in the that is the version that i watched then because the saucers look the same as they do in the new series yeah i i have i actually have this one on dvd and there is an optional uh, feature that you can turn on the CGI um, shots for the episodes. You can you know turn turn that on and it'll show the C- the CGI shots instead of the original model shots. And I didn't know that until after I had finished watching all the episodes. So <laughs> I was exploring <laughs> the special features and I was like, oh, there's these new shots. Ah, dang it! I don't have enough time to go back and watch it. So I looked for it online and that's where I found it. So, um. But, yeah. So they have they have actually gone back and done some things with this that uh, uh, make it more like the the new series. Yes, uh, yes. See, that was something that I was pointing out to my wife the other day um, about some of the classic Star Trek episodes. They've actually gone in and redone some of the special effects in the original TV show to make it look more like the stuff that came out later in the movies and stuff. Um, and... Uh, I was telling her that that, uh, that I thought that that would be something that would be useful to do in some of the classic episodes of Doctor Who, um, yeah. and apparently they have already done some of that. Yeah, in a very minor way, I think for the most part they don't. I think for the most part, uh, BBC and and those in charge of of the Doctor Who classic episodes don't want to mess with them too much because of of their iconic nature and that sort of thing. Right. But but the occasional special edition like this, I am totally in favor of. So, um, As long as they don't change the story and stuff, I think it's pretty cool. Right. Right. Um, but we should get back to the actual episode. Um, since these saucers, since one of these saucers has been seen landing in London at the heliport, the resistance group has decided that they are going to attack it. Uh, and Dortmund, the leader of the group, says that he has developed a new acid bomb that he's confident will shatter the Dalek casings uh, because they have not been able to do that yet, which is one reason why the resistance movement has been thus far not very successful. Of course, when uh, Tyler asks if he's tested the bomb yet, he says, no, no, it's all in the formula. We don't need to test it, which, of course, instantly makes me go, oh... That's not going to work, is it? So, <laughs> what, yeah. So, that was that was my very first impression when when he said that it's no, no, it's all in the formula. We don't need to do that uh, because we need to strike <laughs> now. I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. Um, it seems like those plans never end well. No, no, they don't. Um, however, the doctor and Ian have been taken to said saucer 
uh, as prisoners. So they're all sort of going towards the same general area at this point. Uh, the doctor and Ian have put in a cell with a couple with a prisoner uh, named Craddock, who's not who's basically resigned himself to his fate, and he's very dour and very grumpy. Um, whereas the doctor is a bit chipper for being put in a cell, which is really kind of funny. He's uh, it's some, that's something that happens in, in with the later doctor, especially. Um, you know, he, he gets put in a cell and he's like, oh, well, you know, whatever. He's, you know, this is fun. This yeah. is fun. <laughs> um, so it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, whereas this doctor isn't, you know, necessarily saying, well, this is fun. He's he's not necessarily disappointed either because he's like, this is a challenge and I like a good challenge. And so he's uh, looking to find a way out and he, he discovers one, which I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but... It's kind of funny, too, because Craddock keeps making these uh, negative quips at the doctor, and the doctor finally just turns around and just insults his intelligence completely. You know, uh, he's like, why, why would they put uh, a device in their own cell that would that would uh, have a key in it that would let somebody out? Well, I suppose if they had someone with your intelligence, they wouldn't have to worry about it, now would they? You know? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. That, that... This doctor is not afraid to insult people that he's just met. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> the doctor basically discovers that the, the Daleks, as a failsafe to keep themselves from being trapped in their own cells, uh, have have hidden keys uh, in the cells uh, in these devices that you have to figure out how to unlock in order to get the key out of, in order to use it to open the door. Right. So... Which, of course, the Doctor does. And uh, <laughs> although we do find out that these keys have actually been placed in the cells as a sort of um, intelligence test because the Daleks want to know who is intelligent enough to be robotized. Um, and they, they've set up this test. And, of course, the Doctor passes with flying colors, which is great. Or not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's taken out, and he's, you know, going to be sent to be robotized, and Ian and Craddock are shoved back in the cell. So, um, apparently, I, whereas Ian is definitely smarter than Craddock, um, he was not worth robotizing to them at the moment. Meanwhile, the the resistance group is trying to formulate their plan, and, of course, Barbara has the brilliant idea to use some... Uh, disabled robo-men helmets uh, to disguise some of their forces in order to get them close enough to the saucer to start using the bombs. Which is a pretty good uh, idea. It's a pretty good idea. It's just a little silly that nobody else thought, thought of it first. <laughs> um, you know, Barbara's, you know, smart as a whip and, you know, although with the way everybody else is going, well, that's a really good idea. It's no wonder this group hasn't been very successful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they that's their, their uh, plan of attack. Um, and at this point, Susan is well enough uh, to, to go on the raid with them. Um, she and Barbara end up uh, 
joining uh, David, who is the the man who initially went to go look for uh, the Doctor and Ian, but of course wasn't able to find them before they got captured. And actually, I forgot something. While the Doctor and Ian are in the cell talking to Craddock, they are asking Craddock about about the invasion. You know how right. it happened. Right. What you know how the Daleks, you know, came to be in charge. And at the same time, they do this really interesting thing where Susan and Barbara are asking David about the very same thing. And it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool to see that, you know, this early on in Doctor Who where they've got this very modern editing tool. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's something it's something that was definitely well ahead of its time, I think, uh, where they, they go back and forth between the two different locations and they carry on the the explanation and the same story, uh, you know, basically word, you know, as if it was happening simultaneously. And right. uh, it was really neat because it helped to, it was a lot of exposition, so it helped to sort of break that up. Right. Um, and uh, I thought it was actually rather clever. It, so. it kept it from being... Uh, Drolling, uh, uh, boring, uh, boring, monotonous. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the the backstory basically is that uh, ten years before this uh, time that they're in now, uh, meteorites had brought a plague to the Earth. Um, and there was a cure found, but before the cure was found, most of the Earth's population had died. Uh, mm-hmm. And there were just little pockets left uh, scattered around the earth. And uh, Craddock basically says that it was almost like that the Daleks were just waiting, uh, sitting there waiting for them to die. Right. Uh, because six months after this happened, uh, the Daleks just landed and took over. Um, right. The The earth was too fragmented uh, and to basically sh- shell shocked, I guess, right. from the the plague, that there was literally no resistance to the Daleks. The Daleks landed and took over and enslaved everybody, as if it was you know an ordinary day at the office. And they um, they leave the impre- leave you with the impression that uh, that the uh, original party of Daleks was larger. Uh, than what is is there now, and that the ones that are there now are just the ones that were left behind to oversee uh, the operations. Mm-hmm. We also is it here where we find out that there's this enormous mine in Bedfordshire that's being dug. It is okay, yeah, uh, and nobody knows what they're digging for or or why they're digging there, um, but they're doing that so. Um, which will come into play later. Yes. Um, but uh, as as luck would have it, I suppose, the resistance attack on the saucer coincides with the Doctor's uh, transference process, um, which, of course, disrupts the process, and he does not end up being robotized. However, uh, due to the fact that the bombs do not actually are not as actually as powerful as Dortmund predicted they would be the attack does 
little except to just sort of confuse everybody. Uh, some prisoners escape. Uh, many people get killed. None of the Daleks are destroyed, as far as I remember. Um, although they may have tipped over one. I think I they know. I think they turned one on its side, but I think that's about it. Yeah, it, um, you know there was no, but the, the attack was a complete failure, and everybody ends up getting separated and split apart. Um, well, now the members the members of the resistance do successfully free the Doctor, uh, and they do escape from the saucer. Um, yes, and they take several prisoners with them. Um, unfortunately, they did not take credit with them uh he was left behind and also ian was left behind because ian hid in the confusion and was left behind in the ship yeah the doctor is unconscious because of the drugs that were used on him during the the transference process and is carried out by uh Ty- by tyler by Tyler? Mm-hmm. Tyler? Tyler carried him out, but then Tyler lost track of him during the confusion, and he got passed over to Baker. That's right. Uh, David grabs Susan, and they head off through the alleyways, uh, the back alleys, and Barbara ends up getting separated from Susan and David in the confusion. She's, and slight, back. she's slightly wounded, which is one of the reasons why Ian got left behind, is because Barbara wasn't there to make sure that Ian came with them. Right. So. Um, and and Barbara ends up going back to the Resistance headquarters with Jenny. Uh, so this is where we start to see everybody start getting separated and split up, and we, we'll end up having... We have three different parties at this point. Yes, we'll have three different parties that, that sort of take us through the rest of the story for the most part. Um, the the good news for Susan and the Doctor is that uh, David and Susan end up meeting up with the Doctor and Baker. Um, and Baker turns the Doctor over to David and says he's going to get out of town. Uh, the Doctor, David, and Susan, you know, hunker down somewhere to... to to rest for a, a minute before they plan their next move. And unfortunately, Baker runs into a Dalek around the next corner uh, and is instantly killed. Who's actually so. surrounded. Um, yeah. He, I think he had three of them surrounding him uh, before it was all over. Yeah. Uh, the Daleks were not happy with the attack. No. It's like stirring up a hornet's nest. And this is also the point in the story where the, uh, the Dalek um, commander... Uh, gives the order to firebomb the city. Yes. And then transfer all of their ships uh, to the mining facility. Yes. Uh, and the the Dalek commander is the Black Dalek, you know, conveniently, because he's black and silver. So, um, but... And that's, that's all out of retaliation against that one attack. Yes, yeah, they, they were they were content to just sort of let London rot, basically. Uh, but because they attacked a saucer, uh, they're they're going to uh, make sure that wipe them out, <laughs> all of them, all of them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or uh, exterminate. Um, so. Yeah, the the and we pointed this out earlier. Um, 
that is that is used in these stories, but in this particular story, it's not as prominent uh, it, because at this point in the story, you actually hear them say, "Destroy them! Destroy them all! Destroy everything!" You know, uh, so they 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 uh, they use that, but they actually use that more later on in the story than they do at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, exterminate is is one of their is still one of their words, but it's not like they're. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not. It's not their. Uh, I guess their battle cry, I suppose. Um, at least not yeah. at this point. It, it, it's not. It's not the identificate identifying phrase for them yet. It's it's one of their phrases. Um, uh, and, and something that I noticed too that uh, I thought was kind of dark at this point in the story was when Susan and David are hiding. And they're hunkered down behind these these rocks in this little wall. And uh, in the distance, they can hear a Dalek saying, um, stop, stop, stop. And they hear this guy running, and he's crying. And he says, you killed my mother. You killed my brother. Why did you do this stuff? And they stop, stop, stop. And then you hear him say, no, please, no, no. And then you hear them fire on him and you just, you hear him die, you know. And yeah. and they're sitting here with this, this horrified look on their face, you know. And you can just imagine this scene going on. You don't actually get to see it at all, but you hear it. And the sound of it just, it, it, it was very off-putting for me. It was, yeah, you know, unnerving. Yeah. So... I, I thought um, that was a really good a good uh, scene in the show. Yeah, no, it it's interesting because some of these things are done because it's it's cheaper to do them this way, but they they pull it off well enough that it becomes almost an artistic choice, right? You know? uh, so yeah, I I agree that was it was definitely off putting and unsettling and a little little creepy. Yeah, um, I thought so cutting back to to Barbara and Jenny they they've ended up back at the headquarters with Dortman who did not participate in the raid because of the wheel of his wheelchair um, and Tyler also goes back to the headquarters to let Dortman know just how many people died and that he's getting out of town and that Dortman should too yeah at this and, point he basically says I'm done you know yeah Tyler's done. He's he has wants nothing more with the resistance. He's going to go out on his own. Uh, Dortman has you know defiantly said he's going to stay and he's going to work on his formula and perfect his bombs. And Barbara and Jenny agree to to stay with him for a time as he uh, wants to go to the Civic Transport Museum to see if any other resistance fighters have gathered there because that's one of their secondary locations. So, uh, meanwhile, Ian runs into uh, a fellow prisoner who is also stuck on board the Dalek saucer uh, named Larry. Um, yes. So that's... And this is where we find out the fate of Craddock. Craddock was actually robotized, and uh, yes. Ian had to fight him to, uh, to save himself. And in doing so, he knocked his helmet off, 
And when he did that, then Craddock actually killed himself by electrocuting himself on one of the machines. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, in an equally weird and kind of creepy situation, in order to not be discovered, Ian and Larry dump Craddock's body out a disposal chute so the Daleks don't find it. There are some really dark themes in this in this uh, story arc. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not something that I would normally do on a daily basis. You know, I wouldn't just go dumping dead bodies out of disposal suits into the, you know, basically out the garbage hatch. <laughs> yeah, a little creepy. Um although what we what we get next um Oh no, that's that's not quite next. The the doctor and Susan end up, you know, and David uh, end up trying to figure out what they're going to do next. Uh, and David suggests that he and Susan should go and take a look down the uh, the sewer systems to find a way out. Uh, the doctor is still a little little out of it after the, you know, as the, the drugs for the transference are still, you know, working their way out of his system. So he's going to stay and rest while David and Susan uh, take a look around. Um, At this point, also, when they decide to leave to go to to the sewers, before they can leave, uh, they actually see two Dalek drop off a firebomb. It's um, not... That's not yet, mm-hmm. actually. It's not? Uh, is that? Is that? Mm-hmm. Wait. Yeah. Is that... Okay. Because David has to has to uh, disable it before they can leave. Oh, that's right. And that's the that's reason right. why he has... That's the reason why he says it's okay to leave the doctor there, because the doctor um, is in an area that the Daleks are going to assume has been destroyed, so they're not, right. not going to go looking for him there. That's true. That's true. A firebomb, like less than twenty feet from their hiding place, mm-hmm. and it's it's ticking down. It's ticking down rather quickly. So he actually figures out that he can use the acid from one of the acid bombs to burn into the casing and disable it. Yes. So while the acid bomb does not burn its way into the casing of the Daleks themselves, it does their bombs. So yay for. <laughs> acid bomb technology I guess <laughs> um, one of the interesting things that we one of the most more interesting um, sequences that we get uh, in this third episode of the story uh, is Susan Jenny and uh, Dortmund's trek across London to the museum and it really broadens the scale out for this story too. I mean, the scale of this story is so much bigger than some of the ones that came before because you see all these outside scenes with these long you know, cityscapes in the background and and all these long bridge shots and stuff. It's really nice. Yeah. Uh, Since they're filming in London, since it's set in London, they're filming in London, they actually have use of, you know, outdoor uh, the, the ability to shoot outdoors. Um, and they have these long tracking shots where uh, Barbara and Jenny are running down an abandoned, busy, what would normally be a busy street, 
Um, but they're running down this abandoned street in the middle of London, pushing Dortmund's wheelchair, you know, and they're running pell-mell through the city trying to avoid Daleks. And we also get uh, Daleks, you know, patrolling the city as well, you know, making sure that things are going according to plan with the firebombing and that sort of thing. You know what? The preparation for the firebombing. And so it's really interesting because we get Daleks in front of some very prominent London monuments, too. What what this reminded me of, these shots reminded me of some of the... uh, shots at the earlier part of uh, 28 Days Later um, when he's wandering through an empty city and there are no people at all and the cars are just sitting idle on the side of the street and everything's just dead. Hmm. You know, uh, that, that it, I saw a parallel there in the way that, that it looked because there were literally no people anywhere. There was no activity. The only activity you saw was from the Dalek. Right, right, um, but they do make it through safely without being seen. So uh, Dortman really wants Barbara to take his his notes on his bomb and give them to the doctor. Maybe the doctor can do something with them. Um, Barbara's like, "Well, you can give them to him yourself." And you know, they go. Uh, Barbara and Jenny go to to take a look and see, you know, make sure that they're safe in the museum. Dortmund leaves the notes on the table, takes his bomb, and uh, because they're getting ready to leave the city, um, Dortmund wants to make a final stand, and he goes with his bomb out in his wheelchair, the middle of the street, and yells for the Daleks. Uh, he tries one last time with his newly tweaked bomb, and it doesn't work, and he gets killed. Yep. So that was an. It, an interesting, really interesting situation there. It was sad too. Uh, like, you know, it was a little sad. Yeah, it was just you know. Of course, Jenny's Jenny's really frustrated and really angry because you know why did he do that? It was stupid. Um, course, he had become kind of like a father figure to her, right? Uh, of course, Barbara has to try and comfort her. Um, there is one little funny scene that happens uh, right after that, though, uh, that I thought it actually made me chuckle a little bit. Um, oh. Is when the the Dalek go in to investigate the building that they were hiding in, and they're already gone. And he goes up to the mannequin that's standing there with no head; it's just the body. And he tries to talk to it, and, <laughs> and it doesn't respond back. And he's like. Ah, subspecies or something like that, you know. Yes. It turns around and rolls away, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Identify yourself. Subspecies. <laughs> oh, that like... that made me laugh. <laughs> it was... It was it like, was this good. guy's too stupid to talk back, so I'm just going to leave him alone, you know? <laughs> label him as a subspecies and just leave him, because he's going to get blown up anyway. So. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> uh, Jenny and Barbara end up, uh, since it's a, the, what is it, the municipal... It's the, museum, the Civic Transport Museum. Right. They're able to wrestle up some transport, you know, an old, a big old truck that's it's, on display is there. Is it a bus? I don't think it's a 
bus. It's got a really big steering wheel. That's what made me think it was a bus. Yeah. <laughs> it's some sort of like, I almost want to call it like a, like a semi-truck, but it's not a semi-truck. It's got a really, uh, really big steering wheel. She can barely hold the, the sides of that thing. It's so big. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they they find this thing and they have to get it ready to to take out. Um, if they're going to use it. They have to you know find some gas, make sure it's going to work. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Larry and Ian end up finding themselves in Bedfordshire because that's where the saucer landed, and they've uh, discovered the mine. And uh, we found out that Larry actually stowed away on the uh, the Dalek spaceship. He he wanted to be on the ship because he was looking for his brother. Yes. His brother was taken to Bedfordshire as a slave, um, and he wants to find him. Um, we also learn that Larry's brother, I think it's Phil, for Philip, uh, has a theory as to what the Daleks are digging for, uh, that being the core of the planet which is interesting. Of course, you know, Ian's like, well, we'll, we'll figure that out when we get there. Um, or as the doctor calls it, the very stuff of creation. Yes. You know. Barbara and Jenny do get the, the, their, their truck working and they go on this really interesting, you want to, you want to talk about this, don't you? Yeah, they, they go bowling. <laughs> <laughs> bowling for Daleks. <laughs> Um, they they bust out of the museum and they take off down the road. They're going to get out of town, and a Dalek patrol has set up, you know, has set up on the road in front of them, and uh, they're ready to fire. And Jenny's like, you know, look out! We can't make it. And Barbara's behind the wheel and says, "I'm going for it." And she guns the motor. <laughs> And just slams into these Daleks. And mows them down. It's so it's, good. It's great. <laughs> of course, that attracts the attention of, of, a, of a saucer. Um, <laughs> and they have to uh, jump out of the, the truck before the saucer blows it up. So uh, <laughs> they, they got to the outskirts of town. So, you know, they're, they're well on their way, but uh, they're not home free yet. Um it was fun while it lasted. It, it was. <laughs> it was so great. This this story is definitely more action packed than uh, the previous Dalek story. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> while David and and Susan are exploring the sewers, trying to you know find the way you know out, uh, they run across Tyler. Tyler has been you know, using the sewers as his own, you know, highway basically as well. And that's where he's decided to, to hang out. Um, they convinced Tyler to, to join with them and to, you know, make their way out of the city. Uh, they head back to gather the doctor after an interesting run-in with an alligator. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a real alligator. It was a real alligator. Yeah. <laughs> They didn't actually shoot the alligator, but it was a real alligator. (laughs) (laughs) Larry and Ian discover that there's going to be a smuggler coming into the mines. 
uh, to bring food, and Ian is going to try and talk to the smuggler in order to uh, get back to London so he can find his friends. Um, although they they discover that the Black Dalek has also been experimenting genetically and has created uh, what is called a slither. Yes, he, he treats it like his pet. Yes, he treats it like his pet, and that roams the mine, uh, the mine area at night, which is uh, when they're meeting this smuggler. The smuggler does bring food, you know, exchange for you know jewelry and other sorts of you know gold watches and that sort of thing, and he's finally consented to take Ian back to London uh, when the slither interrupts their party and kills the, the smuggler. Um, <laughs> Ian and Larry are forced to, to leap into one of the, the mine... Buckets. C- buckets. Uh, for safety. Um, and it just happens to be the one they're about to lower into the mine shaft. Right! <laughs> Another one of those pure coincidences. Um... <laughs> So now they can actually figure out what's going on. Um, <laughs> Barbara and Jenny uh, find this abandoned house or barn or something. Some kind of little hobble or something. And it's not exactly abandoned. Uh, there's an old woman and a young woman who live there, and they're... Uh, not quite right in the head, to say the least. Um, yeah, that's that. It's a nice way of saying it. Yeah, little little nuts. Um, <laughs> but they're allowed. They they explain to Jenny and Barbara that they're allowed to live that close to the mine um, because they make clothes for the slaves, and that's that's why they live there. That's not the only reason they live there, though. Um, as the young woman is sent out on a quick errand and brings the Daleks. Yeah. They're, they're basically there as, as sort of a, a bait to catch stragglers. Um, you know, a light on in the hovel, that sort of thing. And In exchange, they get food. Yes. To which they, that is all the, this woman and, and her accomplice. Accomplice, I wasn't. I was going to say child, but I don't think that's true. Uh, accomplice uh, care about his food, so. But, so now Ian and Jenny are taken to the mine too. Uh, everybody's heading towards the mine. The doctor, Susan, David, and Tyler are heading there. Uh, they've camped out on the ridge but above the mine. The doctor wants to find out what's going on. He wants to know why the Dalek are doing what they're doing. Uh, so. Uh, it was in his interest to go to the source and find out directly. Yes. It's it's interesting, though. Um, Whereas Barbara's trying to find Ian. Yes, Barbara's trying to find Ian. Ian has, you know, got there almost by accident. Uh, Barbara's trying to find Ian, and the doctor wants to know what's going on. So they're all now starting to converge on the mine. And one thing that I thought was neat... Uh, about this episode is that Barbara gets to be a more heroic character in this storyline 
uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to Ian being the main hero of the story. Now, you know, Ian has his own, his moments. Barbara has hers as well. She gets mm-hmm. to be that heroic character in this. I, I really, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and she she gets to stand on her own uh, without having to rely on uh, on Ian so much. You know, Ian is always very chivalrous and wants to protect her, and you know, will stand between her and danger and that sort of thing. And he's very, you know, and she you know, allowed it at the beginning. Oh yeah, she allows it, but she's completely capable in and of herself to to you know take a stand and to you know tackle problems head on. And and in this situation where they're basically forced apart, uh, she really is able to step up and excel in that sort of, you know, almost heroic leading lady sort of right. uh, role. Um, I still love that bowling scene. Oh my gosh, it's so good. <laughs> She's like, I'm going for it, and guns it, and just smash uh. and the crazy thing is is they they used one of the actual dalek props that they built and they completely destroy it mm-hmm. there's no way they were able to put that thing back together and use it <laughs> later on in the show um they, but they really they just drove a truck over they it. apparently had more daleks built for this storyline than they did the previous one though because they literally in in the original dalek storyline that we discussed on the last episode they literally only had four. Yeah. They literally only had four. And the scenes that they did where they had to have more Dalek than four in it, they had those four in there to be the ones that moved around. And then they had inflatables that sat in the background that mm-hmm. were like big balloons, basically. Or your cardboard just cutouts. Just to take and... up space. Yeah. It, And there is a... Uh, in some of the 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 big sh- the the shots at the helipad mm-hmm. in this episode, there are two Daleks that are basically, uh, you know, really 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 well done cardboard cutouts that stand in the background to help fill out the scene. Unless you look for uh, them, they, you don't see them though. Right, right. Unless you're specifically looking for them, I knew that there were going to be some of those in here, and I was like, I was looking for them. I was like, ah, there they are. Um, and so, they, but they definitely have more uh, Dalek props. That's interesting, I think, because they'd use the same method for uh, the original Star Wars movie. At the end of the movie, they didn't have enough actors to stand in for the Rebel Alliance. And so they put cardboard cutouts uh, yep. in there to uh, to take up space where they didn't have enough people. <laughs> I thought that, it's, it's, you know. It's funny how just a, a very inexpensive and you know <laughs> filmmaking technique is used sometimes um, Ian and Larry end up at the bottom of the shaft um, Larry gets hurt falling out of the uh, the bucket which stopped a bit high uh, and so he can't really move very much but they run into a slave party that is being you know herded along by a couple of robo men one of which is his brother. Yeah, that's not good. No. No. And so, uh, <laughs> Larry is trying to, to get through to his brother, Phil. Um, and Ian's telling him, no, this isn't going to work. You know, you really should just get out of here. And finally, uh, Larry 
grabs his brother who is getting ready to you know either arrest or kill them uh, and says run Ian and Ian takes off and Larry goes to strangle Phil they, and Phil pulls the trigger and the two of them kill each they other. They die together. Yeah. Wow. It's poetic. It, it's poetic. <laughs> it's That's like, you know, Latin epic poetry. Yeah. I swear. It's, you know, it's... Yeah, that's that's some Shakespeare tragedy stuff. No kidding. No kidding. Um, but uh, Told you there was some dark stuff in this storyline. <laughs> There was some dark things, but uh, we immediately go from that dark and rather, oh, that's really not right, right? to um, Susan and and David uh, flirting at the camp that they've made. Uh, Susan is uh, cooking, cooking stew or something, and David has caught a fish. And he, you know, it's, tries to freak her out with it. It's very uh, Attack of the Clones-like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we should say that because of some people's, ex- you know, experience with that movie. Oh, I was talking um, about the rolling around in the grass and, you know. They did do that. <laughs> they did do that. Um, but they, you know, they have this little tussle with the fish where he's you know messing with her and she ends up getting it from him and starts you know slapping it at him or whatever and they 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 go in for a kiss just as you know the doctor walks in and he you know (laughs) you know and they break (laughs) apart and uh, yes well um hi we uh yes so (laughs) The, the, the the thing that i find uh funny or maybe not funny but find entertaining i guess about this is the doctor knows what's going on but he but doesn't he pretends not yes to. he doesn't let them know that he knows what's going on he he's completely on the surface he's completely oblivious but he has this twinkle in his eye the whole time that lets you know i know what's going on i'm just choosing not to acknowledge it Right. I I totally saw what just went down. Um but I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, he he it's really funny. I don't remember how it goes, but there's, you know, the doctor and and Tyler had been off taking a look at some stuff and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on and they're back, you know, figuring out what's going on and they're discussing things and and David and Susan are very awkwardly trying to you know, say things that in no way resemble what they were actually doing, <laughs> but kind of don't really succeed. Um, <laughs> Tyler's completely oblivious because, you know, romance is the farthest thing from his mind because right. he's just, he's the resistance fighter and that's that's who he is. Um, and of course the Doctor is playing dumb well, at that the, time. The thing that, that you got to remember about the Doctor is... Regardless of how he behaves about it, regardless of how he acknowledges things like that, at his heart, the doctor is a romantic. Oh, yes. Um, you know, he's he is a romantic even when he doesn't act like a romantic. Even the Eccleston doctor is a romantic. Oh, yes. You know. Oh, yes. I, although I think he's a bit more romantic than some of the other ones. Well, I, I just say, you know, because people don't look at him on the surface as necessarily being a romantic, you know. Mm. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Now that I'm sort of thinking about it, I think the least romantic doctor is either Troughton or McCoy. I was going to say the war doctor, but... Well, that too. Um, yeah, the war doctor definitely, but but yeah, war doctor and McCoy. I think Troughton likes the idea of romance, but it's not for him. Right. You know, so I'd say, yeah, war doctor and McCoy are definitely the the least romantic of the doctors. Um, McCoy just doesn't have time for it. No, he doesn't. He's, he's too busy scheming. Um, <laughs> yes. Seventh doctor is a schemer and, and we'll, we'll see that when we get to his Dalek <laughs> episode. Um, but back, back to this, this first doctor episode, uh, <laughs> what, what did you think about David and Susan, uh, forming that relationship did it seem natural to you did it seem like it was honestly it felt just as awkward to me as attack of the clones i'm sorry <laughs> and and i look, i'm a big attack of the clones fan okay i really am but that that awkwardness between those two characters in there there there's a definite parallel there because neither one of them know anything about relationships neither one of them know anything about how to approach a relationship or a, even a person of the opposite sex to you know even broach the subject of a relationship and so you know it's the same situation in this that you have in the other you know some of the things that they say are some of the cheesiest things or you know, some of the, the most awkward or weird things that you that you'll ever think about them saying because you know I, I well going to back to Attack of the Clones and Attack of the Clones they say some things in that that a lot of people think are just some of the worst lines that, that could have been written into a an, into a story. But when I listen to that, to me it makes sense because for the character that it's portraying those lines make sense to me because they don't know what else to say. Right. You know, they don't really have a lot of experience. They're in this. so caught up in the moment that they just blurt something out because they can't think of anything else to say. That's mm -hmm. that true natural awkwardness that you get from somebody who's never been in a situation to have had uh, even a relationship come to mind. I suppose we should go uh, sort of backtrack a little bit back to one of the earlier scenes where Susan and David are exploring sewers and they're talking about, uh, you know, where each of them are from. David, you know, says he's from the country and, you know, grew up with his family and that sort of thing. And Susan, you know, mentions that she never really had a place, you know, to call home mm -hmm. other than with her grandfather and then she asks, you know, what he's planning to do after the war. And he says, well, rebuild, you know, you know, find a way to help, you know, rebuild the planet and, you know, move on. And she goes, oh, that, that sounds nice, you know, and, you and know, the, the idea of having a purpose like that, and he, you know, he tells and her, well, you could be a part of it, you know. And she she doesn't immediately say no. The look she has on her face, though, is one of. I'd never thought of that, you know. Right. <laughs> right. And so and per it isn't personality-wise for these two characters in at least in my mind, I would say that they parallel uh Anakin Skywalker and uh Amidala 
but they're gender swapped in their personalities. Um, mm. In that Amidala has had this family life in her past. She's had a place to call home. She's had, you know, this place where she came from where they have these luscious fields and everything. Whereas Anakin has never had a place to call home. He's never had, you know, anybody that he could call family other than his mother. And he loses her, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I, I would say that, that there's a definite parallel there, but I think it's gender swapped in that way. That's an interesting point. This is a very interesting <clears throat> point. But I, I, I also want to bring that up to, to say that the idea of them becoming a couple, you know, being an item, mm-hmm. uh, is, doesn't come out of nowhere here towards the end. It, it, it's sort of seeded in a little bit at a time. Um, which is how it should be. Which is how it should be. It felt maybe just a smidge forced at times, just, you know, the way that it fit into the story. Um, but overall, I felt like it was fairly natural. Um, there were, there were moments and sometimes, you know, jumps, um, from, you know, one level of, you know, acquaintance to friend to, well, maybe there's something more, you know, there were some jumps that seemed a little bit, uh, a little unnatural, but not extremely. So, um, so I, I just was wondering what you thought about that whole thing overall. I, I think so. a part of, a part of it depends on the time frame that you're talking about too, because they don't give you a definite number of days that they've been here or anything like that. By the end of this thing, you know, it, it could have been a couple of weeks that all this actually transpires over, and you really don't know. Right. Yeah. That, that's that's the other thing is the way the story is done. Is it looks like it could be done and just like. A, two, three days, or if you wanted to, you could, you know, extend it out and extrapolate it into two, three weeks. So it's, it is definitely one of those things where time is, um, wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Well, see, I, I've, <laughs> I've felt the same way when it comes to, uh, like, uh, uh, the empire strikes back because, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people look at the empire strikes back and they're like, well, how did Luke get, you know, all this training over just a couple of days or whatever, I don't think it was a couple of days. I think it was maybe a couple of months that this story actually took place over. Mm. You know, that's the way I've always viewed this because, you know, the Empire is going to be looking for Han for however long it takes to find him just so that they can get to Luke, you know. And, you know, they could have they could have looked for him for three or four months for all we know, and they, they were just hanging out trying to not be found. Yeah. Well, that's a topic for another podcast. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> well, I like was maybe the, may, like maybe the Wampas there, I, my other podcast. I, so, I was just making a parallel there. So yes, yes, no, I, I agree. Um, <laughs> but uh, back to, back to the episode. Um, Jenny and Barbara, of course, uh, end up you know were captured uh, by being betrayed by the the two ladies. Um, and they are, they've joined a work party. Jenny is, you know, despondent and does not, you know, does not see an end to this. Uh, whereas Barbara is almost like she's getting antsy and excited because they're, they're close. They're close to figuring out what's going on. 
and Jenny can't understand it, and so Barbara wants to find out a way to get to the control room. Uh, and so she tells the Daleks that the the Resistance are planning an attack. And she uses the papers that she was given to prove her point. Yes, the, the, the notes about the bomb from Dortmund uh, to, to sell her point. Uh, and she convinces the Dalek who's overseeing the work party to take them to the command center so she can tell the, the lead Dalek. Uh, oh, I thought this part was funny. I really oh did. <laughs> <laughs> so she ends up talking to the, the black Dalek and uh, she has to make up the entire the entire resistance plan so she the thing to remember about Barbara she was a teacher yes not only was she a teacher but she was a history teacher right and so she starts bringing in you know Genghis Khan and General Custer and Hannibal and Hannibal and um, you know all these different Napoleon that, Napoleon <laughs> And <laughs> oh, it was good. <laughs> it was really good. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the Boston Tea Party, Robert E. Lee, right? you know, all these different things are getting thrown in. And, you know, and the Daleks start freaking out, you know, why was I not informed of this? We must prepare. And then finally she oversteps and tries to access the uh, the command speaker for the robo men and that's when and trying to get that's when they realize that she's been faking it the whole time right the daleks realize that this is not right and so they they end up capturing barbara and jenny and uh they end up being uh chained up in the control room um much the same way that uh the doctor and susan were chained up in the control room back in the previous encounter with the Daleks. Um, meanwhile, Ian has gotten himself into a little bit of trouble. That's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Daleks are planning on penetrating the Earth's crust with this uh, explosive that they're going to drop down the two, the, the, uh, the, the shaft. shaft that they've dug. Thank you. Um, and it's basically they're going to just drop it and gravity is going to do the work for them. They don't need to, you know, fire rockets or anything with this thing. Um, the the goal that that they have in mind uh, at this point, they finally reveal it, is that they want to explode the Earth's core so that the Earth loses its magnetic field so that it mm -hmm. can then be piloted by tractor beam or something of that nature out of orbit and taken wherever they want it. Yes. Which is a very fantastical final goal. And it makes you wonder why they want Earth in particular and where they plan to take it. Which we never get answers to. No. Um, so it's a little... It's a little interesting. I, well, Dude. I don't know if we never get answers to it or not. I know that there is a point in way down the road in a future episode where this story is referred back to. Um, mm. 
and they they actually say that they have to travel back in time to Earth at this point so that they can become part of this war on Earth. Hmm. So I don't know. I, I'll actually have to go back and watch that. I, I only know about it from a clip, but um, I, gotcha. I would have to go and see uh, whether or not they have any more information about this in that other episode down the road. Okay. But in this storyline, we don't get an explanation as to why they want the Earth and where they plan to take Correct. it. Um, Ian has worked his way into the Dalek headquarters uh, from the, the, the mine area. And ends up in a room where there's a couple Daleks, and there's this big, you know, cylinder in the middle of the room that's, you know, split in half, um, and it's hollow in the inside. And the Dalek is, you know, turning around towards Ian's direction, and so Ian just jumps into the cylinder uh, to hide. Well... That that's that's the, the bomb. That's the bomb that they're gonna drop. Um, he has some of the worst luck, you know. <laughs> he does. He really does. And of course, you know, the Dalek is maneuvering around so that they can, you know, close it up and arm the bomb so that they can just drop it. You know, they're already ready to go. You that's know? when he suddenly realizes what it is. Yeah, but he's like, oh. Oh, this is not good. Oh, crap. You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so as the bomb is being maneuvered, you know, into position to the, the, the shaft, the, the drop point above the shaft, um, he starts pulling wires and fiddling with everything <laughs> inside, trying to figure out how to stop this thing. And that's actually at, where... At one point, he even pulls a wire and a door between his feet falls out from under him and he almost falls through the bottom. Yep. <laughs> yep. But he does get it to stop. You know, uh, it... Uh, doesn't it drop to, like, the, yeah. the, the service shaft? It drops partway um, and then it gets stuck because uh, he's messed with it. And then yeah. the Robo-Men actually have to uh, attach a rope to it and try to pull it back up the shaft to try yeah, to start to, over. Yeah, to, to the service area so they can, you know, fix the damage and, and start over. Um, and that's when the door under his feet opens and he's able to, you know, try and get out of the bomb. Um, he gets out of the bomb. And, and falls uh, down the shaft. And, and falls down the <laughs> shaft. He slides down this, you know, the this basically glass tube that they've, you know, used to help direct the bomb right. down the shaft. And he is, ends up... He is able at the last moment to jump to the service shaft uh, on yeah, the side. Yeah, he's, he's, he's able to push off the, the side of the, the shaft and... You know, land on this this service platform basically um, knocks himself out in the process. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's he's not falling to his death anymore, um, which is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I figure we'll just finish up with with what Ian ends up doing, uh, and then we'll go back up to to the control room. That would that would um, be easier. Yeah, Ian ends up waking up and works his way into the, the service area 
where he's gone up the ventilation shaft. <laughs> yeah. Where some slaves are moving around, you know, construction material and that sort of thing. And, you know, knowing what he, you know, what's, you know, going to be coming back down the shaft any minute, uh, he takes some uh, wooden poles, basically. Some kind of building material. Yeah, and wedges them against the, the service entrance into the shaft in order to stop the bomb from falling right. past that point. Uh, and then after he's accomplished that, he tries to find his way back up to the control center. Meanwhile, uh, Susan and David have been directed by the doctor to destroy uh, basically the, the aerial satellite that uh, the Daleks are using to, you know, basically as a sensor basically to, to keep an eye on everybody and you know keep an eye out for attack uh, they destroy that the doctor and Tyler are able to make their way into the control room where uh, they are able to rescue uh, Susan and Barbara but the Daleks are uh, you were going to say something part of what the uh, device that uh, David and and uh, Susan end up destroying. Part of that is actually the device that sends power to the Dalek through their dishes as well. Mm -hmm. um, so in destroying that device, the Daleks lose power again. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's <laughs> it's great because the uh, the black Dalek, you know, the the lead Dalek there is rushing back into the control room because they've been, you know, out trying to figure out what's going on with the bomb, which is mm -hmm. why the doctor and Tyler were able to get in and rescue uh, Su or, uh, Barbara and Jenny. Um, and knowing what's going to happen, the doctor is not afraid when the Dalek starts rushing back in and, you know, tries to stop the doctor. And so while Barbara, Jenny, and Tyler are hiding around the corner, the doctor just stands there in the middle of the room. You holding know, his lapels. <laughs> holding his lapels, you know, nose in the air uh, like the, the first doctor does. And the Dalek comes in and is yelling at him, and then he stops. Right. Right in front of the doctor. <laughs> so... It was it was a great little little shot, great little sequence, and a very something that the doctor ends up uh, really doing a lot later on is that sort of similar thing. And see, where he... this is something too that I think uh, that should be pointed out. I think the doctor at this point has realized that his first assumption about the Dalek timeline is not correct, because I think at this point he has realized that this is the reason why the Daleks have used these dishes as opposed to the static electricity situation, because at that point he says, we don't know how long this is going to last. They could have a fail-safe in place to power themselves back up. We have to find another plan. Which brings, you know, Barbara's idea to turn the, uh, the Robomen against the Daleks uh, back into the front. They are able to give the Robomen one final command, turn them against the Daleks and the slaves and Robomen rise up against the Daleks. <laughs> and there's a, you know, great couple minute 
sequence of just people running through the mines and running outside, you know, tipping over Daleks and throwing Daleks around and, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and this this also I thought was kind of cool too, or kind of interesting I should say. Uh, is le- earlier in the in the uh, story they tried to t- the ha- hand the doctor a, a gun, and he says, "Oh no, no, uh, no, my boy, I never kill." Uh, he says, "Only when my life is being th- immediately threatened," you know. <laughs> but then he gets on the microphone and he says, "Kill the Dalek, kill the Dalek, destroy the Dalek," you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. He still kind of kills, <laughs> just not not directly. Um, uh, it's funny you mentioned well, that because he, he's known to con- uh, contradict himself on a few different occasions. <laughs> just a few, uh, in every incarnation. Oh yes. Uh, but uh, in the confusion. Ian is able to make his way into the, the control center um, and is reunited with the rest of the TARDIS crew. He's able to inform them that the bomb has not actually fallen into the core and tells them where it's at. The doctor says, oh, well, um, we need to get out of here because that's going to take out the entire mine. Um, so... <laughs> But he also says, I don't think it could do much damage to the Earth's core from up here. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's... That's yeah. reassuring. Um, and then there's a mushroom cloud. A yes. big one. <laughs> yes. Just after they're all able to get back on the ridge, there's a big mushroom cloud. And apparently um, some lava activity. Yes, because he says, the, he specifically says... What do you think about that? A volcano erupting in London. <laughs> yes, in, in England. And then Tyler's like, I, you know, he just sort of shakes his head. Um, you know, sometime later, they all end up back in London and the rest of the resistance movement is helping them to clear the debris away from the TARDIS so that they can all go inside. Um, Big Ben is chiming again. Uh, mm-hmm. Ian and Barbara are eager to get back on board and try and find a way to get back to their time, uh, back to London in their time. Tyler, uh, at this point, you get the indication that he's planning on trying to rebuild the city uh, mm-hmm. and find people to help him rebuild the city, uh, whereas David wants to rebuild the countryside. Yes, David wants to go and uh, begin farming again and that sort of thing. Uh, because his family was from the country uh, and that's home to him. Uh, The doctor says his farewells and has this interesting conversation with Susan. uh, Yep. Where they, they say some things but that's not really what they're saying. Uh, Susan is then left to say goodbye to David it's funny, though, because Ian is, you know, talking to, to David and, you know, just saying goodbyes and, you know, what are you going to do now and that sort of thing. And Barbara knows what's going on. Barbara can see that Susan wants to talk with David alone. And so she's trying to s- subtly get Ian's attention to, to leave and go back to the TARDIS. Right. And she's like, Ian come just on, doesn't, what's wrong Ian with doesn't you? Come get on, it. you know. <laughs> Ian doesn't He's get oblivious. it. So Barbara... 
you know, Barbara <laughs> finally just grabs his arm and takes him into the TARDIS. Um, but uh, Susan and David have a conversation where David uh, fully expresses his feelings for Susan, says he wants to marry her, and you know asks her to stay with him on Earth. And she's very conflicted because she has to help take care of her grandfather. And, you know, or at least she believes she does. She believes she does. And she's, she loves him, but, you know, she can't. And there's this, you know, she has this really difficult decision that she doesn't want to make. But we find out that the doctor has apparently been listening to the entire conversation from inside the TARDIS, you know. And, um closes the TARDIS, locks the door and says a goodbye from the TARDIS loudspeaker basically. Mm, yeah. Um he he tells Susan that, you know, her place is with David and not a silly old buffer like me. Uh and we get that famous this is where we get that famous uh speech about one day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Mm-hmm. He then says goodbye and takes off. And she stands there in disbelief because she now doesn't know what to do. Right. She ends up, you know, standing where the TARDIS was drops her TARDIS key there on the ground and uh, that's the final shot takes takes David's hand and they walk away and the final shot is the camera zooming in on that TARDIS key and in something that is different than a lot of episodes they don't go and give you sort of like a, a little bit of a, a preview into the next episode you know, where a lot of these storylines, there's something that, you know, uh, a quick something that was going to show up in the, the next storyline right. happened at the end of the episode. We don't get that. It just zooms in on the key. It's like the end of the final episode of season five of Clone Wars. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I'm finding a lot of parallels here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, the scene is actually very well done. This good. This is our first farewell of a companion, and it's the Doctor's granddaughter, and it's actually done very well. And Susan isn't one of my favorite companions. She started out being annoying to me. I ended up liking her at the end, much like Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. In case you hadn't, in case you hadn't noticed, folks, uh, Paul and I are, are also very big fans of Star yes. Wars, um, and so the, we tend to find these parallels um, between Doctor Who and Star Wars. Oh. Um, but yeah, she she wasn't, you know, like you said, she was a little annoying at first, and you know the way she would say "grandfather" sometimes grated on me, right. especially earlier on. Then she became okay, and then throughout this story is I was like, you know, she's kind of, she's kind of a nice character. And then we say goodbye. Right. It's, it's like, it you actually... finally get me to, you finally get to where you write her in a way that we like her. And then you t get rid of her, you know? Right. 
Right. That's they, a Stephen you know, Moffat move. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually, you know, like you said, they, they were actually writing her very well. She was a very believable and a very uh, much more natural character in this story outline yeah. than she had been before. Um, I actually found it a lot more emotional at the end than I expected to. Yeah. Because I had, I, I had found out ahead of time what, that this was her final episode, you know, spoilers. Um, yeah. But, you know, I was thinking since I knew it was going to happen, that it wouldn't really affect me. But when I, when I got to that scene, it, I mean, I do, it almost brought tears. It was very emotional scene, you know, for me. Yeah. Which was a little unexpected, you know, it was like, why am I, and we thought the doctor saying goodbye to Rose was rough, you know, (laughs) well, I mean, it is, it's very rough and it's, you know, this, this, the doctor saying goodbye to Susan isn't quite on that level. Um, But even back in 1964, we still had emotional goodbyes, you know, it was still very, uh, you know, some of these goodbyes were really, you know, rough, especially for the doctor, you know. The doctor hates goodbyes, and this is the first one he has to deal this with. This is one of the reasons why I think he hates goodbyes. Yeah, yeah. And he so, he had to make the the decision for her because he knew she wouldn't make the decision for herself. Sort of like the brigadier does with him on a few occasions. Right, right. Overall. What is your impression of of uh, the Dalek invasion? Of I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I really like the fact that it had a lot bigger scope, um, and I, especially for the, for the uh, the show at that point, uh, we didn't always get episodes with a lot of big scope. You know, uh, a lot of it was mm-hmm. done on sound stages and things, which is understandable considering. Uh, but this, of course, was back before you had. Uh, computer-generated imagery to make, you know, a big landscape or something like this. You you had to use what you had. And I really love the way they use the city. I really love the way that they made that uh, the backdrop of, of what you were watching and, and made it, mm-hmm. made the scope of this thing so much bigger and so much broader uh, because it really, I think, uh, benefited the story a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, overall, uh, this is definitely, uh, of the two Dalek episodes we reviewed, this is probably my favorite of the two. Um, the other one's very interesting and nostalgic. Uh, this one is definitely more action-packed. And it's more complicated um, storyline as well. It is. It is definitely more complicated storyline. Uh if you don't watch it carefully, it, you will lose your place on what's going on. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but it doesn't drag. There aren't really moments that drag. Maybe some of the sewer stuff is a little bit slower, um, but uh, it's there's still elements of the plot and character development right. that's going on. As um, opposed to having an entire episode worth of time <laughs> on the previous storyline that they probably could have cut out. And right. made it more compact and more action-packed if they just stuck to six episodes. Right. Right. Um, 
I, I agree. Yeah, this one, this one definitely seemed a lot more thought out from the beginning, uh, a lot more uh, complete. Mm-hmm. Had a more complete feeling, if that makes sense. Well, they're finding their feet um, at this point. You know, they are. They are, and it's the the writing is good. The dialogue is is you know pretty good. Definitely better uh, than the previous episode. And so they're they're really figuring out where this show is is going. This is still a second season, so it's you know it's definitely has room to grow. But um, I, I, if you if you had a rating scale of of, of ten Daleks, uh, how many Daleks would you give the Dalek invasion of Earth? I'd say about a seven and a half. Seven and a half. Very nice. Very nice. I'd probably give it about. A, yeah, about a seven. I think I'm going to go with, with an even seven. Um, you know, especially when you consider the the time period that this was released and made. Um, it was definitely ahead of its time. Uh, it's with some of the editing choices and some of the uh, the way that they made the story complex and interesting. Uh, definitely something that was ahead of its time, and. For, you know, one of the Doctor Who black and white uh, serials from the 60s, definitely uh, a highlight in my I'm wondering opinion. how difficult it was for them to shut down some of these streets where they had to do this filming because there was literally nothing going on. It was just empty streets. So you, I you know they had to block that off so nobody could get in there. I think I remember them saying that they had one day. And they filmed all that in one day. Uh, they would have to block is, off multiple streets and stuff. Yeah. Uh, at least the bridge. The bridge where they filmed the Daleks going across. Uh, that was like one day. They had one day to film all because that Because you, you so. know that, it, especially when the time that this came out, it's it's airing in the city where they filmed it. So you know everybody's going to recognize all those landmarks and stuff, and they're going to know exactly where oh, they yeah. are in the city. And so you know that they can't just reuse the same street over and over and over or whatever because that's not going to work. Um, right. So it had to be a pretty big undertaking. Right. I Yeah, definitely. Um, I would definitely re- recommend this episode to, uh, to fellow Whovians. Uh, would you? I would most definitely. Um, I would recommend it even more so than the one we did last time. Um, as much as I love the one that we did last time, um, I think that this one would be uh, more uh, along the lines of something that people that have watched the new shows would be able to latch on to better with this episode or this story uh, story arc uh, more so than the original story arc, uh, maybe even. Um, and, and both of them have uh, a great classic feel. Both of them have... Um, a lot to offer, but I just think the, the way that this story is told, um, it is it is actually a a lot more conducive to especially modern day who, who viewers. Mm-hmm. Definitely more so than the Daleks was. Um, all right. Well, next episode we are going to continue this trend uh, and review uh, the next. Dalek-centric episode, or storyline, and that being 
The Chase. These episodes are available on Hulu Plus if you want to watch them that way before our next episode. Uh, this is also um, a first Doctor Dalek encounter. Uh, so we are still going to be uh, reviewing the black and white stuff from the 60s, from the early 60s. So I'm uh, really enjoying that. doing these black and white episodes. Uh, yeah. And, and I... Of course, it could be the fact that I've always enjoyed, like, the black and white monster movies and stuff. You know, when I was a kid, I would watch, you know, stuff like the original Frankenstein, the original Wolfman. Uh, but I never thought back then that, you know, I would be into black and white Doctor Who, but I really am. I mean, really enjoying these. Yeah, no, they're, they're very good episodes. Um and especially for the time period where they were made in, they're they're definitely uh, they're definitely elements that tell you when it was made, uh, but they're somehow still able to move past that uh, in a way. This this one felt a lot more cinematic for me as well. Um, yes, definitely, definitely. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this review yes, of the Dalek invasion of Earth. Uh, be sure to get in touch with us. Follow us on our social media. Facebook is facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. We are at Talking Time Lord on Twitter. You can also email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Uh, and, of course, our website is www.TalkingTimeLords.com. And uh, what about our YouTube? <laughs> Just uh, search for us on YouTube. Uh I can't give you the address at this point. It's a bunch of wibbly wobbly timey wimey junk. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, search for us on YouTube. Uh, search for Talking Time Lords, and uh, you'll find our channel right away. Uh, we have three videos up at this point. Uh, I'm working on number four this week, so hopefully we'll have four by the end of the week. And uh, just really having a blast doing these videos. Uh, did. The videos to me add a whole nother level, a whole a whole nother depth to this thing because uh, you know you get to see little little uh, pictorial uh, uh, additions to the, the little quips and jokes and stuff that you hear uh, in the audio. So, yes, <laughs> uh, it, if you know people who listen to podcasts or listen to uh, different shows uh, on YouTube uh, that are fellow Hoovians, please. Please point them to uh, our Talking Time Lords page on YouTube. That would be really great. Um, any other final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Just can't wait to do the next one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, everybody. This wraps up our sixth episode of the Talking Time Lords podcast, the Dalek Invasion of Earth story review. For Paul, I'm Jason. And until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.